0: So I started, I said, look, if you want to unsubscribe, and I think I sent it out to 1,900 people. After that, I had 30 people left, everybody unsubscribed. The only people that didn't were like coaches and former athletes. And so I just kept on doing it. I did every week for years and years and finished my master's and started writing programs. And I, I wrote eight books during the pandemic. I had two years of nothing. All the stages shut down. And so now it's just a matter of editing them and publishing them. Uh, because I, I didn't want the, the the shutdown to be a
1: waste. Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast, powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking a job at nicks Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs and utilize over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry.
2: All right, welcome back to the show this week. I have a guest that I think is going to blow your mind, is going to give us an opportunity to get better. I think he's going to be a perfect human to fit the Never Stop Getting Better you know, podcast that we run here. My guest today is one James Leith. He's a mental performance coach and youth sports advocate. He's been coaching student athletes for over 20 years, he has a master's degree in performance psychology. He's also a keynote speaker, a workshop facilitator, the founder of Unleash the Athlete. He's written three book, four books, um, team building activities for athletes, which is fantastic, um, and the empowered coach, which I hope by the time you get through listening to this that you bought for every coach um, that you know, whether it's your little kids ball team coach or your high school coach or your junior high coach. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm looking at it as we speak. He's worked at companies like IMG Academy, which I would like to talk about. I know that's a fascinating place. Mind Body Incorporated, Under Armour. He's currently at Exos, and I'm sure in the human performance world. Um, Man, thank you for agreeing to come on. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to get better today.
0: Yeah, Coach. I mean, I can, I don't know how you do it. You just got done with practice. Here you are. You got all this energy. Man oh, spirited, hey, man. That's
2: good. I'm fired up. I'm fired up to get there you up. Are. <laughs> you're a person that you know you fire me up. And this is one of the first things I want people to know, you know. And you can, I don't know, you can push this if you want to, but your website, jamesleith.com. If you want a way to get better, you can take just this intro and go be better because you can go on there. Like to, I went today, I went under resources. I went under free resources and I downloaded the champion's notebook, which is absolutely phenomenal. Then I downloaded, um, what was the, the, the coach's reading list because I'm a reader and I know a lot of people that listen to this are readers. Um, and there were so many other things on there. And then I run into coach notes in 2009, you started posting coach notes, which are, you know, like your, it's kind of like your blog. It's kind of your, Little thing. Yeah, like five words. Hey, look, a today, song. man, today I read about the mouse and the mouse trap, right? So tomorrow mm-hmm. the kids in Nixon, Missouri are going to get the story because we got a big game awesome. coming up, and we all together. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we got to learn how to be together and look out for each other. So if you need a story, if you need something to motivate your kids, man, get on that website. And then, like I said before – as I was introducing him, the book, The Empowered Coach. Um, I read that actually this week, and that will be in the hands of every uh, football coach in the city of Nixa because, man, that's what it's all about. You know, like you give the secrets to being a transformational coach in that book, and, you know, I hope everybody will go on and buy that. So, first of all, what about the website? How did you start? How did you come to the coach's (laughs) notes? Like how did that happen?
0: Coach Perry, I, I don't know if I can if I can uh, follow up on that intro. <laughs> um, I'm gonna steal you away from Missouri. I'm gonna take you on the road. You're gonna be my hype man. <laughs> I can do it, man. He's got
1: to
2: get a couple more years in before I can get in the retirement system. But past well, that, I'll be ready. How did Coach Note start?
0: Man, I, so I was a football coach in Fresno, California, Central High School. It's where I went to school. 2007 2008 there was a financial crunch uh, I wasn't done with my uh, credential but I was teaching full time special ed PE and English and I got let go and I was I was so upset because I went to that school district I grew up in that school district I was a varsity football coach I mean teaching special ed I'm like I've got job security for life and that's when I learned about tenure <laughs> That's wow. so, so when I learned that you could do the bare minimum as a teacher and yep. be safe, yep. and uh, I, I was pretty mad about that. So I did not go back to coaching or I'm, t- I'm sorry, teaching. I didn't finish my credential, but I did go get my master's degree because what I realized is that coaches don't have time to develop and, and research and all this other stuff. Like we'll read books on John Wooden and he'll spend two months in the off just reading. It's like, you don't have two months. Sure. You, as soon as the last game happens, it doesn't matter if it's state championship. The next week you're in the weight room, you're already working on recruiting, all that stuff. And so I decided that I was going to get my master's in performance psychology and that I was going to educate coaches. I was going to educate myself so that I can I can educate coaches. Now, the desire to do that, was to my dad was an alcoholic. My mom took off when I was in eighth grade. And so all I had was my coaches. Wow. And so you open up that book, Empowered Coach, and there's 19 thank yous to, and by, you know, by names, I coach yeah. Cordell for this coach Nolte for this, Miss Shenson for this, all I had were my coaches. And so that's where that book came from. And then I just wanted to share the stories that I'm, cause I still was coaching. And so I I'd write a little 500 word story and I put it on MailChimp and I sent it to everybody on my email list. And the first email I got was my, my mom. And she goes, honey, you need to filter these. I don't want these emails. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. This is the first email I got rejected by my wonderful mom. But she was positive. Funny, you know. But um, so I started. I said, look, if you want to unsubscribe. And I think I sent it out to 1,900 people. After that, I had 30 people left. Everybody unsubscribed. The only people that didn't were like coaches and former athletes. And so I just kept on doing it. I did every week for years and years and finished my master's and started writing programs. And I I wrote eight books during the pandemic. I had two years of nothing. All the stages shut down. And so now it's just a matter of editing them and publishing them uh, because I I didn't want the, the shutdown to be a waste to work because so I didn't have anything else to do you know so um the empowered coach is really all those coach notes like all just the, it's the best of the best of every every uh story that i've ever told
2: well there's a lot of information on that on that website that you know is just out there for free you know what i'm saying like and then there's obviously stuff you can purchase you know to well, talk the-
0: about the book list right so the, the coach book list that came from the pandemic in the middle so when the pandemic hit i put my phone number on twitter and i was like at High school. If you need somebody to talk to, here's my phone number. And my phone rang off the hook for months. Wow. And these kids were just. It wasn't about like. None of the kids were worried about. Oh, I don't get to play the sport anymore. All of them were like, I don't get to see my friends anymore. Where are my teammates? Like, I miss my coaches. I, I need like that guidance. I'm at home alone. You know, tr- pretending to go to school for my senior year, and uh, I started a book club during the pandemic, and I just sent it out because by then. I had you know, somewhere around 18,000 uh, emails. And so I would, I sent it out and I said, hey, whatever you're reading, whatever you think a coach should read, send it back to me. And I got uh, 200 books from 120 coaches. Wow. So every every December, I send the same email. I go, what are you reading? And so now it's just accumulation over the year. You'll see 2000, 2001, 2002, yep. 2003. And some of the same books stay up at the top. Things by John O'Sullivan are always up top. Uh, things by um, John Gordon are up top. Uh, Ryan Holiday, you know, and so I thought, you know, James Lee should probably be up there. I'm like, let yeah, me, no doubt. Let me get some books published, you know. <laughs> so, um, but there's there's a ton of books up there, and I still have a book club. We we meet every other Friday. We've been doing it for a long time, and so and it's just for coaches. And uh, right now, we're reading The Obstacles Away by Ryan uh, Holiday, which is a fantastic book that I've read but, a few
2: times. Hey, you know, I I was the other day because we have a football player here at Nixon, Missouri, that's pretty good. So we go to the Missouri and um, LSU game, and we're actually in Coach Drinkowicz's office, just hanging out with the head football coach, right? It's pretty cool. Well, I look over there, and on the middle of his desk, he's got three books stacked up. And the three books are The Ego is the Way, mm-hmm. uh, Ego is the Enemy, mm-hmm. uh the Obstacles, The Way, and the one about discipline. You know what I'm saying? Like those are the yeah, three yeah, yeah. books De- all destiny, Disney,
0: Discipline is Destiny or something like that. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's three pretty good choices right there. You know, right. well, and I did, I looked through all that. The the book, man, just fantastic. Cause I'm a, I'm a book person. Let me ask you this before we move on from the books. Give, give me, and this is a tough question because I know you're a reader and I get these questions all the time and it just drives me nuts because I don't have a great answer. I do have a great answer, uh, one answer, but is there a book that sticks out as far as made the biggest impression on you or changed the way you thought or had the biggest impact on you? Is there one out there?
0: Yeah, it's called Tuesdays with Morrie.
2: Ooh, yeah, very good. By Mitch Album.
0: Yeah, that one. And if you coach boys,
2: Ender's Game.
1: Guardian caps are lightweight, one-size-fits-all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive
0: subconcussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian caps can help protect
2: that helmet investment. Anders game. I've not heard of that. Tell me about it.
0: So, so Ender's Game is this great book about uh, this kid who kind of gets bullied, but then he's needed uh, for a program to defend the earth against these raiding uh, bugs. It's, it sounds really sci-fi and it is, but it's a textbook on what happens when boys are left to their own vices. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, you and I, we grew up in the same era and uh, we grew up in the era where when, when you had a disagreement with a teammate coach, let you fight. (laughs) And then you became best friends. Like it happened every single time. I have six best friends. I have had altercations with all six of them, whether deeply emotional or literally coming to blows. And we as a society now have agreed that we're not going to let that happen, but we've seen it happen time and time again. And it leads to stronger bonds, and that's a whole nother thing. But it's just a really fascinating thing to think about. That um, for girls, the uh, a book by Anson Dorrance. It's called Visionary, I believe. And he talks about coaching his soccer team. And one of the one of the great things I took away from that book, because he's got championship on championship on championship, and he says when he first gets to practice, he lets his girls run around the track at whatever speed they want and they goof off and they push each other into the bushes and they just they, they socialize and they know when they get done with that lap it's time to work wow and i think that's such a beautiful thing and i i in fact i i've implemented that as a, as a sixth grade seventh grade football coach during halftime at practice they get a 10 minute recess they can do whatever they want as long as they don't tackle to the ground
2: Right.
0: I've seen I've found quarterbacks. I've found kickers. I've found receivers just because they're just goofing off. You know, of course, the linemen grab the football and they start throwing. And then, of course, the the skill positions go and start hitting the bags and they switch. Wait a minute. But you just let them be kids. And all of a sudden now you just found yourself a new field goal kicker.
2: No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, let me ask you this. Why? Why did you and you've kind of answered this a little bit why did you get into the mental performance world? You know, like what led you to that path? Cause I know you were coaching and teaching and then you went into business and then, you know, you got into the mental performance deal. Like, why, why did you get into that field? You yeah. know, and what, what have been some, you know, like how getting started in that field, you know, was that tough? How did that, how did that come to be? Yeah, Cause I, you don't just, you don't just, luckily end up at IMG Academy. Like that's not the way yeah, that works, you know? Like,
0: Yeah. No, I, I blame Jillian Michaels from biggest loser. Yeah. Uh, she gets the credit for that one. I was, I was a personal trainer during my twenties and it's a great way to make a living while you're in college. And I was speaking at a conference in Chicago and she was going on after me. And so I, I was having a conversation with her cause I had auditioned to be a biggest loser trainer uh, a couple months prior and so we we're just chatting up about books, and I go, "What do you read?" And she goes, "I know what you read." And she's kind of abrasive. <laughs> she's yeah, all, I can see that. Yeah, and uh, she's like, "I know what you read." And I'm like, "What?" She goes, "You read books on sets and reps and nutrition and strength and conditioning and all that BS." And I was like, <laughs> "What should I be reading?" She right. goes, "Your clients are lying to you all day long. You need to read books on influence, on communication, on leadership." And I was like that makes total sense. Oh my gosh. And I took her advice and uh, less than a year later, it was the highest rated personal trainer in Fresno County. And I didn't have contracts. I, it was so, it was, it was, I I had no need for new clients. I had so many clients coming in, but it's because I went into the mental aspect, Mm. I moved to San Luis Obispo, California, and I was volunteering with the Cal Poly football team. And I was in the dungeon and I was just like, I don't know if I want to be down here the rest of my life. And I found this, um, I found a, a, a job titled Mental Performance Coach, Sports Psychology, White Sox. And I was like, what is sports psychology? I had no idea. I'm in my late 20s, no idea what sports psychology is. And uh, I looked into it, I was like, this is it. This is all the things I wish I, you know, because I wish I had known. Because when I was in high school, my dad gave me a, a, an agreement, him and I had an agreement. He said, you can either be on a team or you can have a job. So I'm like, what's the next sport? (laughs) (laughs) So I went football to baseball, to basketball, to wrestling track. I was even a cheerleader. You know, I got, by the end of high school, central California or Fresno, California, central high school, I had lettered in seven sports. Wow. I wasn't good at most of them, but they made me a better football player. Yeah. Volleyball, basketball, wrestling, uh, track and field. Uh, all that stuff just made me better and so I had the opportunity to be really good at football and to suck at volleyball and I think that's such an important thing because on football team I'm the quarterback I'm a strong safety like I'm the I'm the leader on both yeah. sides on volleyball I'm the encourager <laughs> I'm target practice and so I learned how to uh be humble I was humbled on the baseball team I couldn't hit worth a lick but i can steal yep. a base nobody's business but that means i can't start so i gotta ride the bench yep. and so you know learning all that kind of stuff and now i can bring that to other coaches and other athletes being like look if you're in eighth grade and you're riding the bench that's okay because you got your freshman year your so- sophomore year your junior your senior year like think about the 197 teams that passed up on tom brady right it worked out, you know like it worked out. And so just re- reminding them of those stories and having lived through that experience and then going to college and getting hurt, playing football, it just uh, that the mind is so powerful. And nowadays, uh, I'll back up a little bit. When you and I were, we're in high school and we we're about to go into college, the college coach had to take a chance on you. Now like this player's good. We hope they fit. Now there's an abundance of talent. You talked about IMG. There's so much talent on IMG. There's so much talent that Exos works with and all these different high schools. And now this new NFL Academy thing, like there's so much talent out there that, and they don't have to take a chance on you. They just go to your Twitter. This guy's not gonna, nah, he's not gonna fit. And then they just don't give it to you because there's other talent out there. So nowadays, talent is abundance, but the mental capacity to perform to be able to sink that free throw with 0.3 seconds left and all the, everybody's booing you and the cheerleaders are doing their thing.
2: That's rare. And you can teach that. No doubt. You know, I, I, you know, I think back 40 years ago, maybe weightlifting hit Nebraska and weightlifting became something that everybody did, you know, and it just became the thing to try to get an advantage. When did, and, and I say this, like mental performance to me in high school right now gives us an edge because we are practicing it when a lot of folks are not doing it. There are a lot of universities right now that still don't have a sports specific mental performance coach. You know, there are some that do, I know, but you know, like when did that become a thing? And do you see that you know taking off even more so in the future because you know like the mindset 20 years ago that would have been considered a soft skill and something that's not important man like grunt squat bench we don't need you know now it's you know i mean it drives the whole engine you know what i'm saying so like when did mental performance in athletics take off and you know do you think there's still more to come
0: well, in 1970s, Nebraska was creaming everybody, and they didn't know why. It was because they were lifting weights. Sure. Even in the probes, they were like, oh, it's going to make us slow. Meanwhile, you got um, you know, Vince Lombardi and, just, and, and his iron, iron horses just like pounding the weights and just wondering, why are we just rolling over people? Sure. Like and so years go by, and now everybody has a, a strength coach. It's it, High schools have yep. dedicated strength coaches. But 10, 15 years ago, uh ever since everybody leveled out with strength and just, you know, the, the talent pool is just abundance. It's like, well, what's the next thing? Well, if I'm if I'm a very strong linebacker, best in the league, and I lose my cool because I get cheap shotted by a pulling guard, my strength doesn't mean anything because yeah. I just got ejected from the game and I'm in the locker room. So now it's irrelevant. Strength has been, it's irrelevant because you were not on the field. If I'm the fastest guy in the world, but I'm a head case because, you know, I'm more interested in my Twitter account. It doesn't matter how fast I am because my thumbs are the only things working out. So there, there are tools that you can, mental tools that you can teach somebody so that they can access their physical talent on a more consistent basis, you know, and that's, I've got a book coming out called The Resilient Athlete, which is kind of the the, the athlete version of the Empowered Coach, right? So, And it's just it, mental toughness is being able to access your talent regardless of the circumstances. Like it doesn't matter if it's – because when I work with baseball players, a baseball player, a pitcher, the only difference between the first pitch of the season and the last pitch in the ninth inning is the size of the crowd. Sure, mechanics are all the same. Communication right. between the coach and the pitcher and the catcher is all the same. Everything is exactly the same except the pressure, except the size of the crowd. And so uh, when a when a baseball player is going through a slump, well, he just it's not like he doesn't know how to hit. He just something in his mind. It's not the body. It's something in the mind. And so I just find that stuff so fascinating, man.
2: Yeah, and it's not <laughs> talking about know, forever. Mm-hmm. What what I have found is and it's not just sports related you know if you go into the business world and say you're the ceo of some large company you have the same you can have the same issues you know like your performance is driven you know by your mindset your performance is driven by you being able to handle you know yourself first you know what i'm saying so it's not just it's not just athletically you know, it's something that everybody in the world, I think, could use. I mean, think about this: like, how did you benefit personally? How did you benefit personally from learning the mental performance skills? Well, it's
0: awareness. When somebody, like a coach or an athlete, comes up to me and he's just like, "Coach, oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, uh, and a coach that's not aware of what's going on will take that as an attack. That athlete's not mad at me. Sure. I have, she's mad at what just, he got cheap shot and, and he's, he doesn't have the emotional regulation or the, the life experience to be able to take a deep breath. All right, coach Lee, here's what happened. And so you, you see through it, but then you talk to like you you're in traffic and somebody's mad about something and they're yelling at you. I mean, it's a life or death situation when you're in traffic road rage is unnecessary. Everybody sure. feels, and we're going 80 miles an hour eventually someone's going to die. Like we got to be careful. We got to take care of each other, but you're at this heightened sense and you feel like, you know, someone's going to attack you when you learn these mental performance skills, you can recognize that the anger or aggression someone else has isn't towards you. Sure, You can respond instead of react. And a coach that understands the difference between responding and reacting is going to win athletes. What was the quote that you said before this?
2: The, um, Players win games, and coaches win players.
0: That's it. That's it. And my whole philosophy is that you know, as a, as a coach, your player personnel book needs to be as thick as your playbook. Sure. If you get your master's degree and every athlete on your team, you don't need a huge complex playbook. Right. When I was coaching sixth grade, we we won or we lost two games over a four year span. And my playbook fit on a three by five card. I had one formation, I had eight plays, but they knew those plays so well. And I knew the athletes so well that I can from the sideline be like, Daylon, you're going left. And he's like, okay. And that's all I had to change. And the play was completely different, even though only one person changed. And so I knew he was capable of that. And the other players knew that they didn't need to bother themselves with what Daylon's doing. They're just going to go do their thing. So I think personally, back to your original question, the thing that helped me is that it just, like I said, helped me to respond and not react and be able to uh, hear not just what the athlete is saying, but what they're trying to tell me, because those can be two very different things.
2: Sure. Let me ask you this, you know, like what mental skills do you find, you know, what, what issues do you run into most? uh most of the time you know like are there some skills there's some issues that people have you know like whether it be anxiety whether it be depression um stress is there are there certain things that you tend to deal with more than others whether it be in the business world or the athletic world
0: i mean you named them it's emotions emotional regulation we're dealing with kids where their hormones are still developing they don't understand how they are. Sure. I know men that don't understand their own that. That. <laughs> but you, But kids even more so. And it's like, well, it's not their fault. They just don't know yet. So the, the emotional regulation, the energy production in that. Um, so I do this thing. on the. I'll write it on the board. And there's two reasons to do it. One through 10. The first reason to do it is for the athlete. And I say, look, all right. You know, you're a football coach, so we'll talk football. My junior year, I was a linebacker. So I need to be at an emotional level of eight or nine. I gotta I gotta stop that fullback so that my linebacker, or my you know, guys yeah. can come back and get the running back. But my senior year, I was quarterback. Can't be at an eight or nine as a quarterback. I need to be at a four, a three, even maybe, maybe five if I'm an option guy. But knowing where I am on that energy scale helps me to perform better. Because if I'm at a three as a linebacker, it's not going to work out very well. Yeah. might as well be Denver versus the, the dolphins. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. So once them they go there, but also during the same game, I would have to go from linebacker to quarterback. So how do I emotionally regulate? How do I get my energy up? And how do I bring it back down? There are breath work techniques. There are visualizations. There are self-talk. There's all these techniques that kids don't really know about. And that I didn't even know were an actual thing until I went to school about it. Now I'm going back and I'm teaching a kid. I'm like, all right, you remember when you got in trouble in third grade and you had to stand in the corner and count to 10? Yeah. Do that. Just count to 10. And all of a sudden like, I feel a lot better. I'm like, see, it's not just for children. Like it's for people too. And then the other reason I do the one to 10 is when you do you do one-on-one meetings with your with your kids like sure. preseason, right? Sure. So as a coach, you deliver to the team as whoever you are. Maybe you're really you're excitable and you're all this other stuff, maybe you're not, whatever. But one on one with your athletes, if you tell a hey, look, 10 is I'm cursing at you and I'm talking bad about your mama. Zero is you can barely hear my whisper and I'm throwing flowers at your face. Where do you want me to coach you? And you they'll be like, hmm seven okay cool so I can push you and then someone else who gets just pooped on at home by parents they'll be like three coach you just not yell at me because I'll do whatever you want and I learned that uh short story I know I'm a little long-winded here but I love this topic man um so I'm playing strong safety we're playing a really good team called Buchanan in Clovis California Billy Jack Pierce is the tight end and he's a big dude and I'm supposed to cover him. And I know that they're going to do a pop pass because the quarterback just looked at him and he looked at me and they smiled. And he mm-hmm. also hits me because I'm dating his sister. Right. So I understand that there's multiple sure. levels. Quarterback hikes the ball, throws it to him. Billy comes right at me and I move out of the way. And then I triple. Well, my coach was not happy about that. He pulls me out and he's like, get out and I go and I had to stand next to him. A play goes by, a second play go by, nothing. So I go to walk away, grabs my face mask, pulls me back. And I was like, okay, cool. Another play goes by and he leans over. He goes, I'm so disappointed in you. I can't believe you got out of the way. Don't ever do that again. And my heart just broke. Like, oh, man. And then he pushes me in there. Billy sees me, looks at the quarterback, smile, pop pass. I'm like, one of us is going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Me or him. And I hit him so hard. He fumbles. We got the ball back. The point of the story is that Dimitri was on the other side. He was the free safety. And if he wouldn't, if he would have treated Dimitri the way he treated me, Dimitri would be like, coach, I thought you were mad at me. Can I get a little emotion? Sure. And, and if he would have yelled at me at that point in my life, I would have shut down and I wouldn't have been back in the game. So Coach Cordell taught me, and he's one of the coaches, I thought I think, in the book. He taught me that you can't teach or coach everybody exactly the same. you got to learn how they react to certain things and all he needed to do was stand next to me and go I'm disappointed and I ran through a brick wall his name was Billy Jack and I, I did it for him and so learning things like that and then being able to share that with coaches and, and being like coach you don't have to coach the way your coach did And you don't have to treat everybody the same you can actually be different treat everybody equal but don't you dare treat them the same
2: I think that's absolutely awesome. And one of the things in my little short time, you know, diving into mental performance, one of the things I love the most, and you said it, it's about awareness. Like I know when I'm getting a little bit out of control or, you know, my anxiety is getting up a little bit or my emotions are getting a little high. Like I know where I need to coach at, you know, I know where I need to be and I know what makes those kids perform better and it's not me breathing down their neck every single second or every time they you know make a mistake and we've used the intensity level like where, where does a you know a quarterback has to play at a different level than a linebacker you know like I was talking to the girls basketball team last year and basketball very unique in that when you're on offense you're the point guard you might need to be around a six but then uh-huh. when you flip over the five seconds later on defense, it's okay to be at a nine, you know, like you got to be more aggressive. How do you get more... there?
0: Right. You teach them how to get there.
2: No doubt about it. And that's to, something to that about we have, we have worked on a little bit. We've worked on how do we increase our energy? How do we decrease our energy? Um, and those are important. And, you know, that leads me into this because this is one thing that we've not jumped into yet, you know, with, all of our team, like I do individually um, with some of the kids that are more mature. What about the role breathing plays in mental performance? How, how big a role is breathing? It is. It is the role. It's the lead role. It's the, it's the combination of
0: Brad Pitt, George Clooney and Ocean's 11. It's the most important thing. My wrestling coach, my sophomore year was a weird dude. Like he was very, very weird. And we made fun of him constantly. And the older I get, the more of a genius I thought he was. Sure. So at the end of practice, he would have us do 10 minutes of breathing. We'd, we'd put like a medicine ball in our stomach and he would make us breathe through our stomach. And I didn't know he was actually strengthening our stomach. Like sure. I didn't know that. I just thought he was a weirdo putting a medicine ball on me. Yeah. And he would turn the lights off and then – he would scare us. He'd be like, "Ah!" And you would just you would forget that he was eating because we knew he was going to scare us. And then he'd be like, "Feel your heart rate. Breathe into your heart. Bring it down, coach." He was training us to bring our heart rate down. Sure. Yeah. And we were making fun of him, like, "Ah!" You know, like Coach McKinney, you're a weirdo. And now that I'm older, it's like, okay, how can I recreate those kind of things? When I was working with the Bulls, I had this one guy who was uh, with the Windy City Bulls who. Anytime he was tired, he just couldn't make a free throw shot. Just couldn't do it. So then I worked with him. I was like, you're going to run sprints and then you're going to do a free throw shot. And you're going to do that for 30 minutes. And we got to teach you to get to the line. And then
1: shoot. Sure.
0: And then take off again. Right? You're like, and so we, as, as uh, you know, young guys and girls, we'll, we'll look at people breathing and we'll see the shoulders rise. We're like, okay, so now I need to breathe with my shoulders up. It's like, No, not at all. That's that's wrong. So you you can get guys at the professional level who don't breathe right. And then you teach them to breathe right. And now all of a sudden they're even better. So breath work is huge because if you're doing quick breaths, you can rise your energy. If you're doing slow, drawn out exhales, you can relax your energy. One of my favorite things we did at IMG is at the end of practice, after we run sprints and stuff, we would all get together and we would do one breath, which means we would all breathe together. And just, and we're all holding each other's on shoulders and, you know, arms and stuff. And it was such a, like I got goosebumps. It's been years since I did it. I still think about it, but like, it was just one breath. And then afterwards, everybody's totally calm and coach would just be like, great practice. Bring it up. No long speeches, none of that garbage. Just get out of here. Like we're good. There's nothing I'm going to say that yeah. is going to change what just happened. And so breath work's really huge and uh being able to lower your heart rate and then being able to raise your heart rate is huge. Every athlete should be taught box breathing. Do you ever you know what four by four box breathing is? Yep, yep. So Navy SEALs made it very yep. popular. And it's not, it's it's neither an up regulation or down regulation. It's a baseline. It's just how I just need to get to a five and then I can go up and down. And for those listening, it's It's four four breath in, inhale, uh, four breath pause. I'm sorry, a four beat inhale, a four pause, four beat exhale, four beat pause. And you just keep going in this box. You do it four or five times and you'll find that your nerves are totally calm. And I remember my coach in high school, volleyball coach, doing that before a game. And he'd be like, and then just hold it. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, box breathing like okay i don't think he wants me to talk to him right now (laughs) but little but breath work you know and it's huge uh it's 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 more important than a pregame speech it's more important than than anything it's just emotional regulation is the most important thing to a person to learn and breath work is how you get to those different energy levels
2: Sure. I read a book and I don't recall the name of it, but it was really big on breathing. And Is it James Nestor, it was not. I ordered that book today. As a matter of fact, that's a great book. It's a, it's a good book to listen to. It gets a little long on the, on the, uh, the read- I, I did order the, the hardback. So I may have to order the audible <laughs> too, but I'm a reader. So I did want mm-hmm. to breathe by Nestor today, but this, I can't remember the name of it, but it was it had a a six to eight, it was breathe in through your nose for six, Mm -hmm. hold for two, breathe out through your mouth as if you're blowing through a straw for eight. And I started doing that as a way to kind of bring myself back to center. So where it showed up was, you know, I get asked to speak and, you know, I'm sitting up there on stage or I'm sitting out there before they introduce me and man, I can get you know, like you just get that nervous anxiety energy. I know my heart rate's up. I know. And I will sit there and do that two or three times. And it just kind of, Mm -hmm. it brings me back down. Like, and nobody would even know I'm doing it because I can do that without you knowing, but I do it a lot, you know, because it does lower, uh, you know, it does lower my heart rate. There's no doubt about it. And that is something that, you know, I haven't attacked. I haven't attacked it as a team because I know there's a large portion of them that's going to be like you when you were in high school. This dude's a kook, man. Like, what are we doing? But what I do do with my punter, with my kicker, with my quarterback, with my, you know, like when when the kicker goes out and kickers are different. Okay, they're all different. I can't help it. They're just different. Okay, they're they're, I don't know. They're different. So he goes out there, and I know his heart rate's up. Well, in practice his heart rate is not up because it's just practice. You know, we have to try to put him in situations that raise his heart rate, but you know, one of the first things I tell him to do when he goes out on the field, man, take a deep breath, a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth and just get your heart rate back to center, you know, and then go through whatever your pre-kick routine is. You know, I told our punter today, our punter is one of our wide receivers. Well, he don't get the luxury of standing on the sideline and hitting a couple of punts into a net before he comes out to punt. He goes from wide receiver to punter. So I told him today, like, I think you could benefit by getting into your stance and visualizing the snap, visualizing the catch, visualize actually going through the motion one time on air, because your brain honestly doesn't really know the difference between a visualization in the actual routine so it might be a little bit of a it might be a little bit of a warm up that he could actually do during you know just before the play happens because he don't get the chance to go kick on the side you know but all of those types of things i don't know none of that you know if i don't get into you know because who coaches coaches like who coaches me you know yeah. like i've had this conversation with Brian Kite you know Brian Kite spent 10 years trying to you know, make a living coaching coaches. He can coach coaches, and and man, he's fantastic as far as a leader, as far as a fantastic. But he found out like that's just like a lot of coaches won't pay nobody to coach them. They just won't. You know, they're cheap, and and you know, if you don't get up on the college level, they're not making a whole lot of money. And you right. know, so it's so he had to jump over into the business world because, you know, like the business world will pay for coaching. They'll you know, but he will you know pay for. And, you know, so I think the mental performance thing is huge. And I think hiring coaches are huge, you know, like I think, you know, like I spent a decent amount of money just trying to get certified in mental performance. Well, two years later, I don't even think about that money. I mean, I I, I didn't miss that money. I didn't. And And you you
0: used (laughs) what you learned so many different ways.
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, I wouldn't have half of the skills I have, Right now, had I not gone through that and that led to, you know, more things. So, you know, before we go on to another topic, hiring coaches, you know, like how important is it to hire coaches? How important is it to, you know, find people that have a skill that you don't have and allow them to coach you up? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I
0: could not charge the amount of money that I charged in good faith to work one on one with a coach if I didn't have a coach. Sure, It would be so hypocritical of me. And so I have a handful of coaches uh, all throughout the world that, you know, we meet once a month. We meet every two weeks in season. Maybe we meet meet every week. And if I wasn't fine, if I didn't have a therapist and I didn't have sure. my own coach, there's no way that I would be able to have the kind of insights that I have because I would be dealing with all my stuff all the time. And, you know, so it, that I think it's very important to, to have, a coach and to be able to read but the coach doesn't have to be alive I read books by coaches that died 20 oh, 30 100 years ago and uh, you know i just I've spent book I spend time in uh Jim Rohn's books um from and he wrote books 50 years ago uh, yeah. Ernest Nightingale um I get you know these these people that have been gone for a long time and you know, you can always learn something from there but then also I read the, the, that we talked about fiction books, you know, you read fiction and you're reading stories and you're able to learn from, from people's mistakes, even if they're made up. It's like, yeah, that, that's probably what would happen. So I think it's really important to have a coach and, and just always be bettering yourself because there's nothing worse than a coach who just every year just does the same thing, you know, and then the opposite is somebody who's like year one and then year two is built on year one and year three is built on year two and year one. And you just keep on getting bigger and bigger and, you know, one of the best things that you can, here's how you can uh, evaluate your growth. If one of your former athletes come back and be like, dang, I wish you coached like this when I was younger. You're like, yeah, I'm evolving, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's an important thing. Like when a, when a kid will come up and now he's got two kids of his own, he's married and he's like, coach, you're so different. I'm like, thank you. I spent a lot of money
2: and made a lot of mistakes for you to say that. So thank sure. you for that. Well, You know, the flip side of that, the opposite of that happens with me because I will see kids that I coached 10 or 15 or, you know, 20 years ago, and I say, man, LD, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough for you. I wasn't, you know, and I just wasn't. Like, I've had kids I've apologized to because I treated them jokers rough, you know, like I didn't know no better. I thought I was raising performance because – that's the way I was coached. You know what I'm saying? Like scream at me and I'll play harder, you know? And that's, you know, I learned through, you know, reading, finding people that were better than me, that a quarterback actually plays better if he's calm, cool, and collected. Not if I'm breathing down his neck and he's scared to death to throw the football and he's scared of making a mistake, you know, like (laughs) it took me a long time to figure that out, you know? And this mental performance world has helped tremendously. Okay. What about, let's say somebody's listening or, you know, myself or whomever, you know, they wake up tomorrow and they want to be better, you know, just self-improvement. What would you, you know, what would you advise them to do? What are a couple of things they can do right off the bat, you know, that give them an opportunity to improve themselves? Yeah. A journal. Mm. Journaling
0: is, it's not a diary. It's, When you journal and then you refer back to it, you get to see patterns. If you notice that you start bringing up the same athlete or the same family member or the same problem, it's like, okay, like you obviously need to deal with this. And if you're not journaling, then you're just kind of living by happenstance. You're not living intentionally. Journaling, and you know, you have to be like, dear diary, today on the fourth, no, it's not that. It's just be like, hey, I did this, I did this, I did this, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's a problem that I need to solve. And then you go to bed. It's amazing about the subconscious and there's tons of research on this is that if you, the last thing you think about is a problem that you have you'll dream about that sure. and if you wake up and you're like what did i think and you'll have the answer like it's it's the whole dorothy wizard of oz premise and that like she had everything she needed in order to be successful people forget that at the end of the movie she wakes up the whole thing was a dream mm-hmm. like she wanted to go off and do her thing she has this dream and she wakes up better than who she was when she got bonked in the head during the storm and so journaling is huge but also don't be afraid to reread books like i literally just mentioned the, the jim rome like you know like i've read this book i don't know how many times leading an inspired life you know and i'm just like i'm gonna dive back into it so many people are like i already read that book i'm like really you read homer's odyssey in eighth grade okay okay <laughs> Tell me about Telemachus. Who is Telemachus? Who's who's Penelope? Tell me about when he lived on the island with Medusa. Like, do you know about, no, you don't know any of that stuff because you read it in eighth grade. Um, And so I think there's just a couple of things, journal and just be intentional about what you're reading. Um, And the next level I would say is write because if you can put thoughts on a piece of paper, then that'll help you organize the thoughts that you speak.
2: Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think the journaling is a fantastic, Idea, You know, like you said, it gives you a glimpse into what's going on and kind of, you know, it allows you to retrace your steps a little bit, you know, and, you know, one that changed my life several years ago was keeping a gratitude journal in the morning time, you know, like writing down three, four five things that I was grateful for trained my brain to be more grateful than hateful, even when adversity pops up because it's the way I started my day intentionally for 365 days without ever missing a day, you know, and then, you know, now I'd still do it. I may miss a day here and there, but my brain has been trained to be grateful for what I do have, you know, and not be hating on the things that I don't have. Um, so that's another one that, you know, I think is absolutely huge.
0: What you're talking about is confirmation bias. If I'm, if I'm in the, I'm about to buy a new Jeep. All of a sudden I see Jeeps everywhere. Like, Oh, what? I never, yeah. see, everybody has a Jeep. And it's no like, doubt. no, you're just, you're looking at that. And so uh, it is so, it's so easy to just slip into, Oh, that movie sucked. And it's like, did it really like, what you didn't even see it? Really? And you're just saying it because everybody said like the whole Nickelback phenomenon, like everybody, Oh, Nickelback sucks. It's like, no, no, no. Just, that's just the fun thing to say. They have more awards than most any yeah. ever. Like it's crazy. But that confirmation bias, when you are intentional about looking for the good in your athletes, in your assistant coaches, in your administration, in that parent that you can't wait for the kid to yep. graduate, you never have to see him again. Like if you look for the, um, one of the things that I love, uh, Joe Rogan talks about, he's like, he sees everybody as they used to be little babies. So it gives him empathy for oh. that. I was like, I'm going to take yeah. that. And yeah. so every time I deal with the parent, because they're obviously the worst part of youth sports by yeah. far. But yeah. then you, you know a parent, you're just like, oh, they just love their kid. Okay, yep. we can agree on that. That's right. I mean, still not gonna start. He's terrible, but we can agree that you, we live love your sure. kid.
2: <laughs> sure. Parents can be parents can be a challenge. But and this is what, and I learned this from a book. This came from uh autobiography on Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a general that he told to proceed. Go fight, win, finish it. And the general didn't go. He sat on his hands and didn't go. And and Abraham Lincoln got so mad, you know, and he, he wrote him a dirty letter. I mean, it's, he's, you know, giving it to him. Well, they found the dirty letter. Yeah. When Abraham Lincoln passed away in his drawer. He never delivered yeah, it. So but what he said from that was if I had been him and I had been through everything he had been through and I had been raised like he had been raised and I had been, you know, involved in the things he'd been involved with, I would have probably made the same decision. So me dealing with parents, I always give them the pass because I say to myself, if I had been raised by that person's parents in that person's time frame in that person's, you know, uh, life, I would be just like that person. It allows me yeah. to give them a pass. You know, I just, you know, because it's who am I? to judge their life experiences, because that's all we all are is a combination of the life experiences. And part of this conversation with us is my, I want my life experiences to continue to get better. You know, and there is a large portion of people in this world that are rinse and repeat. They get up, go about their day and they go to bed. Very unintentional as far as getting better as far as learning the skills that can help one to overcome issues you know there is you know there's a large population of that which is why you know you have so many people that employ you because when they find the light there is a better way you know like it's never too late to chase your dreams you know it's never too late to i talked to a lady the other day who at 14 wrote down you might know her um at the age of 14 She wrote down um, a dream and a goal to be a world champion calf roper. And at the age of 52, she became a world champion calf roper. You know, like she wrote it down at 14 and it took her 38 years. Right. But she never quit chasing that dream. And, you know, to me, the moral of that whole story is it's never too late. I don't care how old you are. Like if you want to be a mental performance coach, go get the degree, go to work, go find a great mental performance coach, ask him if you can work with him, you know, or get them some coffee or something. And, you know, like it's never too late to change your own life, you know, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show, you know?
0: Yeah. That's good, man. That's right. really good. There's, there's some things that, you, I mean, you probably, I'll probably never play an NBA basketball game, you know, but I could go to
2: one. Sure. <laughs> I could coach, you know. I can no I could work through the ranks if I wanted to, but. Man. No doubt. All right. Well, we're, we're approaching an hour, which and I know I, I didn't want to keep you that long. I got I do got a call. How many questions do we get to that you have? Yeah, we didn't get to very many. I, I, <laughs> I, I still got two so. new no cards <laughs> worth, so I do want to ask one more. All right. How do you address <laughs> burnout and stress management? Because I know in the workforce, that's an issue. How do you address yes burnout and stress management
0: burnout comes from doing the same thing over and over and uh playing multiple sports is a dying art and so it's something that's not going to go away because you and i grew up and went football season and then maybe took the winter off and played baseball or maybe we wrestled during the winter and um, came back could not wait to get back on the football field um you got soccer players that played um, ice hockey and because they played ice hockey and hot and soccer, they've got all these different skills, but they never got burned out. Now you got baseball players from seven years old, they get to varsity, they get a full-right scholarship, and they quit their freshman year because they're right. just burnt out. So uh what you find, contrary to what parents believe and, and what recruiters, not recruiters, but uh recruiting businesses will tell you, is that most of the kids that make it to college played multiple sports. Right. All the professional athletes played multiple sports. Yes, sure, no doubt. There's there are anomalies, absolutely, but you don't really hear about them because they're never the good ones. And you know, you look at some of the, right now, the, the biggest news story really is you know, Dion and what he's doing in Colorado. And uh these kids don't know. Like him and Bo and Ken Griffey, like, I mean, like. These guys who are no Ken Griffey didn't play multiple sports. And I in college he did. But yeah. my point is that like, you know, the, the multiple sport thing addresses burnout. Mm. And if, if you win the state championship and then the next week your guys are in there and they're just thinking about football, nonstop football, I'm telling you, it's that's sure. where burnout comes from. No and doubt. so where you address it, you take a football practice in the off season and then you go play ultimate frisbee for two hours. Sure. Or you'd take them into the wrestling mat and you have the wrestling coach teach them how to wrestle. And you just change some things up, teach them some new skills, Uh go and challenge, like take your starting offense and challenge the volleyball team to a soccer game. <laughs> like, yes. Let's just go have fun together, you know? So that's breaking down silos and that's, you know, allowing athletes and, and letting athletes know it's okay to be friends with other teams. Like it's so weird how things are when you and I were younger it's like I hung out with a basketball player, a soccer player, and a yep. tennis bat. It's like, like we, it was okay, but now it's like, oh, who? Oh, or they don't even play for their school; sure. they play these club teams. And so, um, this is the burnout's a problem that we created as coaches and parents, yep. and, and um, it's it's very easily remedied by letting your kid be a kid. Sure. Because what I what I'm seeing, coach, now is that these kids are growing up, and they resent their parents. For not letting them be kids, yep. they traded their childhood for uh, a trophy that got thrown away at a garage sale the day they graduated high school. You know, I took all my trophies a couple years ago, I took a picture of them and I put them in a the dumpster. I was fine, sure, I'm not missing any of that stuff, but man, looking at that MVP, most improved and most spirited, and all these awards that I won, it's like. I'm good. You know, it's harder it's harder to throw away my single cassettes that I got from Target. Like it was <laughs> I threw away coach, I threw that box away 3 times and I would I went to work and I I literally came back home, pulled it out of the dumpster. My trophies, I didn't even look back.
2: But <laughs> well, what about like you like your your 8-year-old youth baseball team when they finished third place and you got one of them big rings. Like surely you kept that. That's
0: the dumbest thing in the world. That's so stupid. <laughs> that is so I I went to I was in Florida and I was walking with this this kid and this kid was eight years old and he just won the World Series. And I'm like, right. you won the World Series? Like, where did you go? And he was like, It was here in Florida. And I was like, Oh God. That's like calling the World Series the World Series where we only Americans play. Yeah. Now it's like only people from Florida. Well, it wasn't just Florida, it was just the Sarasota area. So like it was Sarasota County. They won the World Series. Right. And so I told this kid, I had a football. I was like, you want to play catch? And he goes, I can't. I go, why not? He goes, my dad says I'm only a baseball player. This kid's eight years old, coach. Like I wanted to punch his dad in the throat. I'm just like, oh my gosh. I go, where's your ring? And he goes, it's in my dad's room. And I go, are you allowed to touch it? He goes, no. I was like, so who was the ring for? The ring for for the dad. So that he could tell his loser friends, hey, my son won the World Series. And then when he leaves, they can all make fun of him because that's what they do. Make fun of them just like we made fun of Coach McKinney in a wrestling room, sure. right? Like these, it, it's so ridiculous to see like football teams and basketball teams and baseball teams win world championships when they never left the state.
2: For it's sure.
0: just it's so it's well, so
2: ridiculous. You know, one of the best things about where do you go from there? <laughs> yeah, really, you're you're downhill as an eight year old.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go play for my middle school baseball team after I won the sure. World Series. No.
2: Okay. One of the greatest things about being in Nixon, Missouri, and it's been such a, a pleasant surprise is our athletes play everything. They go from football to basketball to baseball or track. And man, it is, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's just a blessing because, you know, that don't happen everywhere. And, you know, the reason why it don't happen, it's a parent thing and a coach thing. It's not a kid thing, you know, like, they're, they're, they're told, you know, what they're going to do instead of yeah. allowing them to be a kid. And man, I, I just think life's too short, you know, like, and, and, you know, science shows they're better off, you know, Dr. James Andrews has spoken yeah. about a long I'm time a ago, leg-rounded. no doubt about it. So that's a, that's a given, you know what I'm saying? The, the multi. But you
0: you got to teach coaches that it's okay to share athletes, you know, like, sure. you know, you're you're in the playoffs and you got a basketball player that basketball player is going to miss the first couple games sure and he's got a commitment you know if you're uh soccer and, and you're also playing softball it's like look she's she's gonna miss spring training they're, sure. they're in the playoffs and there's no guilt and let's they don't like we as kids we, re, we recover a lot faster as adults like I mean I'm in squat squattober right now. Every squat every October I do nonstop squats, mm-hmm. no alcohol, no nothing. And uh I don't heal as fast as I used to. Right. Sure. <laughs> I'm struggling, but when I was a kid, no problem. You know, I'm like two days and then I'll go play basketball. Sure. <laughs> now I'm like, I throw the frisbee around if so I need to go see my chiropractor.
2: Understood. Understood. <laughs> You're not as young as you once were. Well, mm-hmm. James, I appreciate you coming on here. Tell tell the folks you know, website, where to go, what, what they can get, how they can get in touch with you. You know, if they want to hire you as a coach or if they want to learn more about you, t- t- tell us how we do that.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate that coach. So uh, James Leith, L E T H.com. All my books are on Amazon. Uh, and I do a mental performance coach mastermind every couple of months. Um, our for our we got two starting up Thursday and on Friday and that's just eight weeks of just diving into mental performance and how do you make it a business or how do you make it a program within your program? And so we've got a couple spots left and um, there's some self-paced learning in that as well. But yeah, man, Amazon, uh, I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram, but just DM me if you have any questions because I'm pretty accessible.
2: Well, and I will put all that information in the show notes too, where they can have access to your website, to the Amazon um, and the and coach notes, gold. man,
0: just sign off my web, my newsletter, and I'll just – I just send stories every week.
2: Yeah, I love it. I love – man, the the coach's notes are are gold, man. There's lots of stories. There's lots of uh, parables or fables or whatever you want to have them that you can use with your team, man. Like, they are – I mean, you started in, like, 2009, so – A long time. <laughs> there's a, There's a lot of them there, man. It's fantastic. Oh, so, man, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been a true – honor it's, it's been great to talk to you you've made me better um and you know i'm very appreciative for you uh being with us i appreciate that thanks coach well for everybody listening go to jamesleith.com. you know pick up everything that he's got it's gonna make you better it's like it's made me better and it's gonna continue to make me better because i'm gonna check into more stuff um i appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast and as always never stop getting better until next time Adios amigos.